Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. If this was a live audience, I would be saying clap as hard as you can because I have Tammy Simon, founder and CEO of Sounds True, a multimedia publishing house with a mission to disseminate spiritual wisdom. Sounds True was founded back in 1985, sorry, Tammy, for dating you, <laughs> and has produced so many titles that I think they've stopped counting. Has been nominated several times for the Inc. 500 list as one of the fastest growing companies, and it is North American's leading publisher of spoken word spiritual teachings. Tammy hosts an incredible weekly podcast that you absolutely have to check out called Insights at the Edge where she has interviewed many of the world's best-known spiritual teachers, visionary writers, and living luminaries. To me, she's a beacon as a true spiritual explorer, and I'm beyond excited to have her as a guest. Hello, Tammy, and welcome to Back Hello. to Basics. Wonderful. It's great to be with you. Wonderful oh, wow. To be with you. I'm going to say just this. You have the most amazing voice. <laughs> as someone that's doing this, and I never had any broadcasting expectations, you know, to be on the same recording with you is a little bit intimidating. <laughs> no need to be intimidated. We'll enjoy it together. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, one of the reasons why I'm very excited to have you on the show is because um I started this little podcast over two years ago and uh, because I felt there was the need to connect. And I've been in telecommunications for over 20 years and my family has a telecommunications company and we've installed over 10,000 towers that allow people to talk to their loved ones. Like I've seen what telecommunication has done firsthand, connecting mm -hmm. people. And I feel I struggle because I enable something. I enable communications. And yet I feel we're so disconnected as human beings. Yeah. Well, I think a, a very important aspect of connecting is connecting authentically, connecting from who we really are, connecting from our heart, not just connecting persona to persona, projection to projection. So you can use this medium, this medium of telecommunications, you can connect people's voices, you can connect people's images, their fabulous projections, and that's not real connection in a way. It leaves us still, in my experience at least, feeling empty inside. What I think we all really long for is this genuineness, genuine connection, person to person, where we drop all of those outer kind of gimmicks. And we actually drop into what's really happening for us and can share and receive each other in that place. So that's my invitation all the time, both in the podcast I host and in working with the authors we work with, that sounds true, is to bring out their genuine heart. I think that's, uh, that's so true. And that's why I'm such a big fan, of course. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. 
And uh, honestly, when I invited you on the show, I've invited many people that are very, you know, high profile. And uh, I give it to you. You responded directly to me, to my email. You made it happen in a, the most genuine way. And to me, you acted as you s- speak. And that's so uncommon, unfortunately. I have so many other people that I meet through the women organization, women minority, and it's so many good words and nice words to hear. And then when the time comes to support each other, they the first question they ask you is how many listeners do you have or how many? And so it's kind of a deflating environment, right? Because you think instead of supporting each other and helping each other, you you kind of want to know what the agenda behind the invitation is. And you weren't like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, one of the things And Eckhart Tolle, who's one of the authors we work with at Sounds True, he's taught on this idea in a very clear way, which is that somebody should never be the means to some other end, that that's not how we are called to relate to people if we're relating to each other from a place of presence, from a place of beingness. And connection, I think, happens actually in presence when we're really there. And when we're really there, we're not using somebody as a cog or as an instrument to get something else, to get more followers or more money or more applause or more, then you're, then you're, you literally are, you're using people, you're using each other and you're calling it connection. But what I, I, I believe is that connection in and of itself is nourishing, satisfying, and gives us the end that we want. Like, what do we want when we get all that applause and we get all that money and all those people tell us we're fabulous? What, what does that give us? It gives us a sense of, oh, I can relax. I'm okay. I'm actually okay. Well, you can be okay right now just by knowing that you're part of the universe and that you're loved. And, you know, so to me, the opportunity when I get an invitation from someone like you and I can sense the sincerity behind it, which I could sense. For me, that's a chance to make a new friend in the world. Uh, you know, they said that the Buddha made thousands and thousands of friends every day. And you know, you can say, oh, you know, we make these friends on Facebook or something like that. But it's it's the question is what is the quality of the the realness of touching person to person in that moment? That's that's really powerful. And 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 I feel that uh, in in my own world. I feel a little bit of what you might have felt when you found it uh, sounds true. And in your own quest is that sometimes I feel like an outsider also, although I'm an insider because, you know, I, I have a name in the industry, but, you know, I'm searching for something different. And people usually tell me what, what, why do you have so many connections? How do you do all this? And someone actually said, well, you network with heart. And so I recently published a blog called Networking with Heart about things I do naturally just because they come. I don't even want to take credit. They come naturally. I really care about the other person and learning about what they're going through. And everybody wants like the book about how to do this. And it's hard to teach it, right? You have to kind of come to terms of what you want at the end of this. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a couple things. First of all, feeling like an outsider. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that's a good thing. I think that the status quo in a lot of our institutions right now is not sustainable. And we need outsiders. Outsiders carry the force of revolutionary power 
to create something new. And I think we're at a time in the world where we actually need a new regenerative world. And if we're all just playing along with the status quo of whatever our industry is or whatever, we're not going to have the kind of new invention that we need as a collective. So congratulations on feeling uh, a little bit like an outsider. And, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was talking to my wife about this and I said, you know, the thing that's odd about me is that what the feedback I get from people is, you know, gosh, Tammy, you are so real. You were so genuine. So, and I thought, you know, I don't have to try to do that. I don't try. Like I was like that from when I was a little kid, mm -hmm. even as a little kid, like when I used to play cards, my mother would say to me, breast your cards, keep them to yourself. Like I was just never like, don't show me your hand <laughs> of cards because how can we have a good game of cards? And it was just a, a little, you know, anecdote from my childhood. But I mean, I was always just, she would also say like, when people come over to the house and you don't like them, don't say, I don't like you. Like, you know, little kids, <laughs> they just say whatever comes to their mind. She's like, no, that's, you know, you don't keep that to yourself. And so, you know, when it came to calling Sounds True, Sounds True, naming the company, I wanted to name the company Sounds True because I realized that's the thing that I valued the most, that when I met somebody, I could feel if they were incongruent, I could feel it. So I could feel like, I could like, oh, that person's lying. That person's lying. That person's putting on a show. There was some way that I felt it. And I never felt safe around people who were incongruent. And when someone was congruent, meaning what they said and how they said it and their body language and their facial expression, everything was of a whole. It sounded true to me. And everything in me also relaxed then. So anyway, I, it's an interesting thing. I don't really know any way to tell people how to do it, except I think we always know, and I'm, I'm going to use a slight curse word here, when we're bullshitting. I think we always know. <laughs> we always know. We know it inside ourselves because there's something in us that feels like we're posturing in a way. We, we feel that slight puffed up thing. And all I would say is people, you don't have to do that. Like your natural self is what other people need, actually, because that's what makes them feel safe. That's what makes them feel relaxed. So if you want to help other people relax, be your natural self. Uh, that's great. And that's why I ended up doing this podcast. Like people want to know, why am I doing it? And they think I'm doing it for business. There's nothing more far away from from this than my business. Right. But it's just it's giving me a creative outlet. And I get calls of my friends to say thank you for just this past weekend. I had someone that had dealt with a lot of alcohol abuse, drug addiction, you know, a lot of things. And I got I get the call from someone saying, oh, my God, I just showed this podcast to a lot of friends of mine. And, and, and you know, the fact that you're contributing is just so empowering. And that's why I have such a great admiration for you and sounds true and, and all you do that I say, I want, I want people that I, I want to talk to people about you with my friends. <laughs> I want to get them at the same level and all the great work of, and authors that, that, you know, you publish. Because sometimes I, I, you know, one feels you cannot talk to so many people about this, even people that you are really close to. Yeah. Well, that also, I think, uh, is changing and it's important that it changes because if we really want to feel connected and I, I sense that sincerity in you, that desire, 
What does that mean? Well, if people, people need to know us for who we are. Like for me, the hardest part of my life was not coming out as a lesbian. That was pretty easy. But it was hard for me to come out and share with people my deep spiritual love and uh, sense of eternity. And that part, I felt, I felt shy about it. I thought people are going to make fun of me. And at the same time, I thought, well, if I want people, not a lot of people, but the people close to me, if I want them to know who I really am, I'm going to have to share with them what actually matters the most to me. And what actually matters the most to me is my inner relationship with a force that you could call God or that you could call the love and beauty and intelligence of the universe and how that flows through me at 4 a.m. when I can't sleep. Like that's what actually matters the most. And I need to share that if I want to be known. And of course, I want to know other people too. So I want, the, I want them to tell me what matters the most to them. That's good. In your last podcast, you called that uh, spiritually coming out. I thought that yes. was so funny, by the way. <laughs> I, yeah. I love that. Uh, and yeah, and I think you share on being true, which, by the way, I highly recommend it to everybody. I, I heard the whole thing in preparation for this. And, and just that, I feel that was a God gift to me. Is besides meeting you today, it's just that work and those insights that you have on being true are really I, I, it's like the Holy Grail. <laughs> you have it there and it's so true. Every, I took like four pages of notes just for me. And, um, and there you say that, you know, the concept about sacrificing the approval of other people, like you have to be, if you're brave and you really want to be true to yourself, sometimes you have to sacrifice the approval of those that you love the most. Yeah. And yeah. I found that so interesting because I've had my sister, which I love, and she she knows this if she hears a podcast, don't be surprised, Santo. <laughs> um, that sometimes she's saying, you know, is it that you're not happy with your life? Because they hear me about, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do this. And my dad used to say, when you say, uh, you know, daddy, you know what I've been thinking? He will start shaking. <laughs> he said, I will start shaking because something big was coming. And, uh, and I tell her, it's not that I'm not happy. I just, I just want more. I want to learn more. I want to know more. I want to experiment more. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, a teaching from a teacher I really respect. His name's A.H. Almas. That's the pen name that he writes under. And he talks about how inside our soul is something called the optimizing force, that there's actually a force in us that wants to keep optimizing our expression in the world, the flowering of our gifts in the world. And so there's actually a kind of pressure inside all of us, I think, to keep optimizing. I think when we don't do that, when we suppress it and we push that down, that drive in us that says, gosh, you know, what might be the next frontier for me, the next exploration, the next chance for me to try something new and expand a bit? I think when we suppress that, we actually become somewhat depressed in the suppression, you know, but when we listen to it and we follow it, then we become, we literally become this sort of flourishing, generative kind of person. So I would say you're following the optimizing force as it's coming into you and sharing with you what it's drawn to as your next exploration. And it's a great thing. It's once you are there, I say with one of my good friends, 
that actually got me into mindfulness, mindful meditation. And I just finished the power of awareness (laughs) from Sounds True. (laughs) It's amazing. And she told me we are standing at the edge and the ledges and the other people are in the middle of the field. But as I journey, I'm like having these amazing conversations with people that, you know, I never thought. It's so so funny. And I love it because it's making you discover, even through the podcast, I'm discovering people that are so different from different walks of life. And you always have something in common, which is... Yeah. Now, you know, the thing, the edges and the ledges or in the center of the field, whatever, I think our minds have a natural tendency to compare, Mm -hmm. to look outside and compare this person's here, this person's there. They have this, they have that. They're now studying mindfulness. I'm not. They have, you know, nine children. I have one. They have nine cars. I have whatever it might be. Like we do that all the time. That's natural. That's human. But I don't think it gets us anywhere except slightly twisted up inside. And that the actual place that's useful is when we say, you know, I don't care about comparing myself to anybody or anything, because that's not actually going to get me anywhere, really. You know, you're always going to find people who are further along than you are, less, it doesn't matter. What matters is what's your actual relationship to your inner world? What is it? First of all, do you have an inner world? Do you even know what that means? Do you have the ability to sit with yourself, listen to yourself, hear the guidance that bubbles up, feel like, oh, that is this optimizing force asking me to make a phone call with someone and heal a relationship that's broken, that's asking me to exercise more so that I can feel better in my body, that's asking me to eat a different kind of food, that's asking me to have a different kind of conversation with my intimate partner that shares what's really happening inside from the most vulnerable place. Like, do we know how to listen to our inner world and what it's telling us? And once you do, that becomes where all the action is. That's where all the action is. The action is no longer in comparing. Of course, our minds still do it. It's a natural, it's what the minds do. Okay, who cares? The, The gold, the nourishment is in the richness of that inner life and following it every single day. Yeah, and I totally see, I definitely see that journey when you're saying, okay, I'm going there, but it's also kind of what I meant. It's also nice to know you're not alone and nice to be able to say, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not not a crazy person that has a great life because honestly, I, I, like in your, in in being true, uh, you talk about, you know, breaking with the norm, right? And that was a big thing for you. In general terms, I feel I'm pretty much the norm. You know, I, I broke with the norm in like I went to match.com to meet my husband 15 years ago when no one was doing the online dating. Uh, but I always say, put the energy out there. It can, magic may happen and it did happen. And so I broke it in that way. But at the same time, I, I think I live a pretty standard, let's say, by the norm life. But for example, I'm very, I'm Catholic. I've been very religious all the time, but people struggle because I love reading Dalai Lama. I love Buddhism. I love those kind of teachings. And, and sometimes they want to box me into, I'm this thing, but I'm not. I, that doesn't mean that the, my religion doesn't mean, you know, that I cannot learn from other ways of thinking. I know you also, you come from a Jewish background. 
How yeah. did that impact it at, at all? Like you describe your parents in one interview as being fairly liberal. Yeah. But uh, was that a conflict for you at all? Uh, not a conflict. Well, first of all, I came from a, a liberal Jewish family in Coral Gables, Florida. Oh, no way. Uh, my so, neck of the woods. We're in yeah, Miami. Exactly. Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, so there I was at Temple Judea, right on US-1. Uh, you know, near US one and Ponce de Leon. I went to UM, so I (laughs) Yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, I think uh at a pretty early age, I felt like a universal citizen. So in the Jewish tradition, you get bat mitzvah, and at 13 I did get bat mitzvah, which is a, a ceremony where you're celebrated. And then at 16, you're supposed to be confirmed as a member of the Jewish faith. And at that time in my life, at 16, I was having these very intense conversations with the rabbi. And I said, I feel like a world citizen, not just a Jew. So I don't know if I can get confirmed because I feel in my heart bigger than just being a Jew. And I ended up not getting confirmed. And so and at, at that time, I was starting to read books by Herman Hess and Alan Watts. And these books were very influential. And when I was asking myself, Am I alone? Where I found that I wasn't alone was in literature. And in literature, I was like, oh my God, look what these people are writing about and talking about. This is what I feel inside, but nobody's put words to it before. And I hadn't put words to it until I read about it. And then those books became my friends and my guides and sources of solace and guidance for me. So even at a young age, I felt, you know, I'm part of the universe and that there's something bigger than these religions. Like these religions have packaged up the stardust of the universe, but it's just packaging. And I want to go and be in the stardust and live with the stardust in my you know, whole being. I, I want that bigger thing. So I always felt that my Judaism was an incredibly important training in ethics, which is a huge part. You know, a basic communication of the Jewish faith was you are the goodness of your actions. It's your actions that matter. And so, you know, my mother and our family, the whole idea was be a mensch. That's the Yiddish word for the person who is always doing the good deeds. The mensch takes the trash out at the end of the party, at the end of the day, and they do it with a smile. You know, the mensch holds the door open for people. The mensch uh, is generous and uh, donates money to good causes. And so I was raised in that environment and that was incredibly formative. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. But at the same time, I was raised in an environment that emphasized a certain kind of tribalism. You know, the Jews are the chosen people. And I rejected that. I completely rejected that. I didn't believe in tribalism and I don't. I believed instead in the universal human soul. That's great. And you know, my audience must be shocked because I'm going around this interview completely the opposite of how I normally do because I I normally go from childhood and what the person liked to do because I like to establish the passion, right? People that go back to basics maybe later in life. And usually I have people that went the corporate way and and then they realize I'm successful, but I'm not happy. And so how you establish that connection. But being that you're a public figure, they, you know, with people that look up to you can know more or less the story. Of course, I definitely want you to share a bit about, you know, how at 21, you basically, you went into college and then maybe decided, okay, I don't sure. fit here. And then you went traveling the world. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so here I am, I'm in Miami, Florida, and I'm reading these spiritual books, and I feel very alone. I feel very alone. I do. My parents couldn't understand the kinds of things I wanted to talk about. Often when I would bring up things, I would hear from my parents, uh, can we not talk about that at dinner? And, you know, I'd, I'd say something like, is the possibility of nuclear war a real thing? <laughs> Could And my mom would be like, we're not going to talk about that at dinner. And I was like, when are we going to talk about it? Yeah. When do we talk about it? And it was pretty clear that we just don't talk about it. So these were this was all inside of me. So I thought I'm going to go to college and I'll study philosophy. And in the study of philosophy, I can have the kinds of conversations that matter to me about what life is really about. But soon I went to a, a very good college, Swarthmore College in the Northeast. And uh, soon I realized that actually I was a better fit in the religion department because what I was really interested in is this whole arena of personal discovery and personal revelation. As I was describing to you, you can look outside all day long. But to me, and I knew this from a young age, the real gold is coming from the inside. So that's what I was interested in. I wanted to write about that. And at that time in academia, you know, you turned in papers that were your analysis of somebody else, some, you know, dead white man from 500 years ago. You didn't write about your own discoveries. So I realized pretty quickly that I did not fit in academia. And that was a very difficult um, junction in my life because I had gone to Ransom Everglades Preparatory <laughs> High School. So that, and I got into Harvard and Yale and Stanford and I went to Swarthmore on a, a scholarship for social change. And, you know, it was all like, this was what my, my young adolescence had led to was going to this terrific college. And here I was saying, I don't fit. I don't fit. And in my second year at college, I met someone who was there on a Fulbright scholarship for one year, Gunapala Dharmasiri from Sri Lanka. He was teaching in the religion department. He was teaching Buddhism and existentialism, a course in Buddhist ethics. He and I became friends. And I left Swarthmore College and went after his one year to live with him and his wife and his three kids in Sri Lanka. And then I traveled up into uh, India and Nepal and spent nine months in those three countries. And as part of that, I discovered meditation. I went on a 10-day meditation retreat taught by a Burmese meditation master, Sri Goenka. And it's a type of deep insight meditation where you spend the first seven days just bringing your attention into every little point on the outside of your body. And then you start for the last three days going inside your body and sweeping the body. And you do this from 5 a.m., till 10 p.m. in what's called noble silence. So I went on one of these 10-day meditation retreats and had what's kind of an unusual experience, which is I fell in love. I fell in love with the practice of meditation. And I was like, oh my God, my whole life has led to this point. And at that point, I made a commitment. What I want to do with my life, and this is me as a 21-year-old, having left college to go on this journey for a year, I want to give my life to bringing this kind of practice to as many people as possible. That's what, I, that's what I'm going to do with my life. And I traveled in India at that point and I would go to these Buddhist temples and I would lie down on the ground with my arms outstretched and my head planted right in the dust. And I would say, use me universe. I wanna be used in this way. Okay, so I do this journey, I declare this and I come back to the United States 
only weighing 90 pounds because at a certain point, it wasn't just one meditation retreat I went on. I went on a second 10-day retreat and then a third 10-day retreat and then a fourth 10-day retreat because I loved it so much. And then I decided, why even bother eating very much? You know, let the universe come and support me. So I started getting kind of out there, to be honest, in a place that I would say wasn't even healthy. Like I took it too far and it wasn't integrated. And, I, and when I came back, I had hepatitis. I weighed 90 pounds. My parents were terrified. You know, I looked yellow. They were like, you know, we're going to give you nine scoops of ice cream a day until you, you know, get back to a normal body weight. Uh, of course, they took me to the doctor. And they said, and time to go back to college, like game over, experiment over, time to go to college. I was about and, to say, sorry to interrupt. They were great in supporting your vision, right? That, not your uh, vision, you're wanting because not many was parents- a little. It was a little dicey, uh, uh, to be honest with you. I made a deal with my father where he said, I'll match you dollar for dollar, but you have to earn half the money. And so I spent four months uh, over the summer and then before I went waitressing and banking a bunch of money and he matched me dollar for dollar. They did support me. I think they were, uh, they knew I was an unusual child and yeah, uh, my, my, a deep bow to them. I think I had to wrestle them a little around, (laughs) but it happened. Anyway, I came back, they said, time to finish your degree. And it wasn't in me to go back to college. And that was when they were like, okay, you're going to need to support yourself. And I was like, that's totally valid. I should support myself. Why should you support me? I don't want to go to college. I'm on my own. And it's a long story and I I won't have time to tell it here, but through a sequence of events, I was given a a vision as a 21-year-old to disseminate spiritual wisdom. Those were the three words that I heard inside of me in an indisputable way. And I knew that that was mine to do. And I was so grateful because then I knew how I was going to put my energy into the world. And it was at that point out here in Boulder, Colorado, that uh, Sounds True was born. That's, uh, I mean, and, and obviously everybody, you have to listen to uh, Being True because she does tell the story in very in detail about all this. But the one part that you didn't mention that is the one I picked up on is how you felt when those words came to you and when a particular sure. person told you, think sure. about what you want to do for three sure. days. And you were, sure. you said, you said you were feeling light. Yeah. So, well, what, so what happened was when I came out here to Boulder, I volunteered at the local radio station to host an interview program where I would interview various kinds of spiritual teachers because I wanted to continue the education that I felt I couldn't get in academia. So I interviewed these various people, volunteer at the radio station. Great. One of the people I was interviewing was somebody who had on his window a yin-yang sign with a dollar sign right in the center of it. And it was called transformational economy. So I was interviewing him. And in the process of preparing for that interview, my father died. So my father died when I was 21 of um, heart failure. And when he died, um, of course, it was a huge event in my life. I inherited a small amount of money. I inherited about $50,000. And back in 1984, when I inherited that money, if you zoomed up today, that'd be like $200,000 mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. So to a 21-year-old, that was a lot of money to yeah. me at that yeah. time in my, right. in my life. And this person I was interviewing as we were doing these 
conversations to prepare for the interview, I mentioned to him that I inherited this money and that I wasn't sure what to do with it, that I wasn't sure I just wanted to put it in a normal bank and who knows where they would invest it, what they would do with it. What should I do with this money? And he looked at me and he said, Tammy, you know what you want to do. And when he said that, I had a moment of like, do I? I don't think so. If I knew what I wanted to do, I wouldn't be sitting here asking (laughs) these questions. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, You know, me and my bad self don't know. And so I'm like having this like weird little internal conversation. And he says, why don't you come back in three days and we'll talk about it. And then he shows me out of his office and I walk out onto Pearl Street here in Boulder. And as I started walking, this very odd thing happened. The odd thing that happened was I felt like I wasn't walking on the ground, which is a very odd feeling. And to be honest with you, it's never happened to me since. It's the only time that's ever happened to me. And I just felt like my feet were three feet in the air as I was walking. And I was like, this is really, this is really weird. Like I'm actually having a very weird experience right now. But I was like, okay, uh, you know, th- weird things happen, it's, you know. And that's, then I heard this voice. And it was a voice inside my head. And it said, disseminate spiritual wisdom. And after I heard the voice, my feet hit the ground. And I started walking on the ground again, and I started thinking about how I was going to do that and what made sense. And, and you know, and the, the reason why, and I know it, it was a story, but that why I wanted you to tell it is because I think that we get that voice and people listening out there, you get that voice of what you really want to do. And unless you trust in life, as you well said, in, in, in as one of your learning points, you have to trust life about what it wants from you. And it will show you like uh, you identify something that was different in your feeling in how you felt. And I hear sometimes I hear my friends describing that kind of emotion and completely disregarding it. And so, for instance, I, I, you know, I thought about having you on the podcast, my bad self, as you call her, or the Bianca, as your guest call it from the other show, you say, she's Tammy Simon. She's never going to come on your podcast. She's giving me a million reasons why you would say no, which is the most logical thing to believe. And yet I say, I will ask. Yeah, I don't lose anything writing an email and asking her. And that's what I define. I, I love to make magic possible, the impo- to prove that the impossible is possible. That's one yeah. of my missions. Yeah. And it's like finding the husband, the great husband on match.com. People would say yeah. you're nuts. Well, I found it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and those kind of things, I think people don't, don't believe in themselves or the, even the possibility that it could happen. And that's why it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, just a couple of points for that person who's listening who says, well, that's never happened to me. The one thing I would say is if you pray sincerely, and what I mean by pray is there's something in you that's humble something in you that's asking, something in you that's willing to receive. So it's not about your ego making it happen, but you're willing, you're willing to let the universe communicate to you and give you something. I think that's a very important, it kind of prepares the ground for something like this to come and burst forth. So that's one thing, uh, you know, and, and I would say pray sincerely, really, really sincerely. For me, before this event happened, I was repeating a prayer, God, I'm willing to do your work. Please show me what it is. And I was prepared for it to be anything. Mm-hmm. I was, it didn't have to be, it didn't have to make me rich. It didn't have to make me fabulous. I wanted to do something that felt 
Like it was serving the divine, serving awe, magic in the world. Okay, so that's the first step. Then the second thing is, I think, as you said, a lot of people do hear a voice or do get a sense of operating instructions and they don't listen to it. And that's where our courage comes in. It's the courage. It doesn't take courage. The, the courage is to listen and do it when you get that voice. That's that's the key, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I have to agree with you. Um, it's so much knowledge, you know. The other thing that I found interesting, and I know, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, so I have to control my notes here. But one of the aspects that really resonated in me when you when I listened to being true was about that that having the problem with the business side of things. So obviously you went on, you fulfilled your mission. I mean, in in a in a long time, because it's another point I want to make. People, you know, I've heard the expression, it takes seven years to make the overnight millionaire. Because people only go to the end and they say, oh, look how successful they are. And they never tell you about the, the hardship. And I'm sure yeah. there were hard moments. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And if you if you calculate it out over 35 years and the number of hours I worked, what my actual average hourly wage would be, um, <laughs> you know, but it didn't matter and it doesn't matter. And I'm very grateful for the success of Sounds True. And the reason it doesn't matter is because I was doing something that was my gift. I was giving my gift to others. I was and expressing myself and using my talent and creativity for the benefit of others. And I think when we're doing that, you don't even, there is no calculation formula. It's not about that. It's about a, a deeper fulfillment. And the interesting thing is when we are giving our gift to others year after year, you know, hours upon hours, you do make money. You make money because you're bringing so much value into the lives of other people that people gladly want to compensate you for it. So it actually, it's a, it really does work. But I do think it's a very long-term horizon. And when you look at it as a long-term horizon, and you know, when I started Sounds True, I was like, you know, I would do this even if I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I would listen to spiritual teachers and edit and work on words and language and have conversations with people that I admire, I would do this because this is what I like to do. This is what I like to do. Yeah. And, and it's what I think it's uh, enriching. Like when you find something, like in my case, and that's where I, I'm going to go with that question, is, you know, the telecommunications industry, it's known for being a male-dominated industry. Now it's getting a little better, but it's really, there's not that many of us in the telecom industry. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been a hard industry to be in. There's a voice culture and, and it has changed luckily. And I've had many men mentor that I always recognize because I always say it's not about being one of the boys. It's about being part of the team. And I've always mm -hmm. had that team, team spirit, but I struggle because in my way of approaching, as I, as I, how would I say, I feel the need to connect genuinely with people. Often it happens that I have many friends, I'm, I have great customers, right? Or great business potentials. And then, and then the moment to buy something comes and the guy and the one that's most aggressive, most cutthroat, I don't know how to explain it. Sometimes it's like kindness doesn't translate ma many times in the business aspect of it. So I'm on the, I'm on a marathon. So I, I'm believing in it's going to count someday. They're going to turn around and come back. And they have, but sometimes it feels unfair. 
that, you know, here I am trying to be honest to my customer and telling the truth and, you know, doing certain things. And then you see the guys that, or the women that, you know, maybe are not that ethical lie or say something that is what the customer wants to hear, they get ahead. So how do we bring this kindness and compassion and, and all these values that we try, we strive for uh, into a business world that sometimes is not ready to deal with them? Mm-hmm. Well, a, a couple things. Uh, w- one thing that um, I learned from one of the teachers I studied with was to look at the long arc of things. So you can say, what will the karma be? What will the outcome be of all of these actions, the effect in 10 years, in 20 years? So I always go for the long game, the long game. And the person with the best relationships, the best reputation, your reputation is is a golden thing to have. Do you know what I mean? The person who always kind of smells like a rose when people mention their name and everybody goes, oh God, you know, so great. That is an invaluable asset in the long term. The second thing is how do you define success? If you define success as winning the contract, even though you stabbed somebody to get there, it doesn't matter. You got the contract or, you know, you, you overpromised and you couldn't, whatever. Uh, that isn't the kind of success I want in my life because at the end of the day, I may not be the richest person. I may not be the most famous person, blah, 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 in my industry. I may not be. But what I have is my own uh, contentment with my soul. And I would never trespass that. I would never give that up. I would never compromise that because that's the most valuable thing I have. So that's more valuable to me than anything else. Yeah, and I, and, I, and that's good advice. I think that's kind of where where I stand. And um, but I try to, and through the podcast, I try to do this to try to trickle down, you know, these things that you know when you're kind and when you're good and when you pay it forward. Like I live greatly by paying it forward, and sometimes maybe I invest time you know, helping other people. My husband sometimes get, you know, he's Dutch, so he's very, (laughs) and sometimes he's like, why are you wasting your time helping someone that maybe hasn't helped you back? And it just, you know, I just, it's my nature. So I don't want to, I don't want to sacrifice that natural, those natural things that come to me because of, you know, what's going on. So I'm kind of optimist that and and you see you see more people like doing mindfulness doing other things like maybe understanding and appreciating kindness yeah. and, and going yeah. the extra mile well i would say even more um greed in business is part of the destruction of the human species right now it's actually uh an incredibly powerful destructive force and we are you know sounds true started this program called the inner mba And it's a nine-month certification program that we're leading in combination with NYU and LinkedIn. And I'm bringing it up because there's a revolution happening in business. And that revolution is business people who are saying, guess what? I want to work with other business people who mirror my values and customers who are going to say, you know what? I'm voting with my dollars. And I'm going to support these kinds of companies. And I think that is the business landscape of the future. And for some of us, we may be ahead of our time. And that's what it means to be a pioneer. But as I said to you earlier in our conversation, we need those outsiders. We need those pioneers. It's clear that the human species 
is in trouble and is at a crossroads right now. And the way that we're going to make it over the next several decades is by us reinventing our institutions, and that includes the institution of business. And believe me, I'm very interested in success. You know what I mean? We have a $10 million payroll, it sounds true. It's not a small mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I, I, I want the company to grow and succeed. And I personally want to be financially successful. And it's in balance. It's in balance. It's in balance with other values that are equally, if not more important to me, which is the health and integrity of the soul and the forwardness of the human heart. Those are even more important to me and they can all happen at once. It's a myth that they can't and it's a myth that's been sold to us uh, by seeing this patriarchal greed win thing be, and it's not working. It's not working for humanity. I, I totally agree. I, I, more and more I hear people that that we say, me included, uh, in a meeting three years ago, we all came to the realization, we say, I want to work with people I like. I want to work with people I like. We don't need this. Like you being, you know, almost abused by customers or, you know, and I think it's it's an awareness that's bringing in. And uh, I think that brings me perfectly to how I wanted to close and and. You know, I have one more last question that that's a quick one. But this one, would you agree that because of what's happening with COVID, um, we are become we have become more authentic? You you mentioned in being true that you didn't want to leave with a mask and people wear masks figuratively, because I think it was like 2016 when you when you recorded that, that they brought a mask to work and people are not being authentic. With COVID, would you would you agree that people are now like lowering the guard and we're working from home and people it has humanized us for sure also in the business environment? Uh, I think there's an element of that. You know, as you're describing the question, I'm imagining some of the conversations that I have uh, over Zoom with fellow people. It sounds true. And you see their kids walking by, mm-hmm. or you <laughs> see them in their kitchen or, you know, people's hair is, you know, they clearly have not had a haircut in what seems like months, you know, uh, and so there's that element of it. You know, I think the pandemic has accelerated and further animated a lot of things that were already happening. So for people who were living alone and perhaps were lonely, they're more lonely now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people who had underlying health problems, not access to the same kind of uh, healthcare and support as others. That's been accelerated as an issue as well. So I don't think it's just as simple as everybody's more authentic. I think some people are more closed and grumpy and keeping to themselves and drinking themselves to God knows where and not sharing who they are. But I think for, for some people maybe where they were waiting for that opportunity to share more, it has come forward. But I would be careful not to make any big generalizations about it. Yeah, that, that's great. It's an interesting time for sure into seeing what what is happening. It's almost like when it first, you know, we were first dealing with it, you could see kindness and compassion. And then it's now turning around again with, you know, anger, if you, you know, for people, the ones that wear the mask with the ones that don't wear the mask. So it's it's interesting times. And I think it's uh, definitely at least a mindfulness practice I learned through Tara's and, and Jack's program is helping me greatly. 
So, Tammy, before we close, I wanted first to give you an opportunity. Is there any exciting projects that you want to share? Anything to look for? Uh, you know, there's always tons of exciting things at Sounds True all the time. And so I just encourage people to check out SoundsTrue.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I will have all, all, all of it in the show notes, all the links. And then, you know, the podcast usually is this journey towards the last question, which is what makes you tick? Obviously, you do a lot of things that make you tick. Is there anything when you want to reconnect with Tammy? I'm sure there's many things, but anything you can share that when, when it happens, you see, oh, yes, this makes me tick. Hmm, that's such an interesting question. It is a very interesting question. And, um, you know, I think this may sound a little odd, but I love the truth. I love mm -hmm. the truth. So what makes me tick is uh, knowing what's true in my own experience and listening for what's true when I talk to people being on a journey to explore and excavate, find the truth, what can we know as human beings. So what I'd say is what makes me tick is a love of what's true. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, you know, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I'm a big fan. And uh, definitely thank you for being a trailblazer in discovering, you know, all these paths that uh, help people to get to know themselves better and to stay in truth. So thank you so much, Tammy. Yeah, thank you. And I want to encourage you as a trailblazer, keep getting out there. Let that optimizing force animate you all the way. Keep going. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be chatting. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And until the next time. <laughs>